Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the operations designer here. And I want to talk to you about how, for about 90 minutes, 90, 90, about how it's difficult to hear the voice of God. Now, I mean that figuratively, to hear him. But in the story we're going to talk about today, in the Gospels, there's a physical example of Jesus hearing a man who is deaf and mute. Now, in, chapter, in Mark chapter 7, 31 through 37, it talks about the story where Jesus goes out into the Decapolis, which is a section outside of Israel, which wasn't common for him to travel outside of that. Uh, Israel. He went out there. Deca means 10. Paulus means city. So just 10 cities. There were Greek cities that were taken over by Rome. So there's a lot of different culture there, Greek and Roman. And they, there he was brought a man who was both deaf and mute. And he heals him, which isn't uncommon, right? The scriptures, especially the gospels, are intensely interested in Jesus, the healer. So he heals him by taking him away from the crowd, taking him to a space where it's just he and the two of them. He puts his fingers in his ears. He spits on his fingers and touches his tongue. And then he looks up at heaven and groans and says the Aramaic word for open. That's a fun, that, I'm done, amen. <laughs> That's a funny story, it's a different story than some of the other accounts of healing in the Gospels. But I want to talk to you about five points today that help you understand how this story, in its deeper meaning for us, is about healing, about listening, and about hearing. So those come with some criteria, meaning you can hear the voice of God by practice, by process, and by humility. It's not easy to do that. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of work. Let's talk about the first part, number one, the city. Remember I mentioned it was Decapolis, so he goes outside of the city, outside of Israel, so he and his disciples are in a space where they're not familiar, right? They're not some people are speaking different languages, they're, maybe they're dressed differently, acting differently, and so Jesus takes them there. And I think about that for us as a church. Where are we going? What spaces do we go to in our world that are outside of what we're comfortable with, outside of our norm, outside of how many of you are sitting in the same seat you sit in every Sunday? Just raise your hand. That's okay. I am too. And so that, that's, that's a funny, we're creatures of habit. We like the same thing the same way. It brings us some comfort. But I think in this story, Jesus is in the deeper meaning of the story. It's maybe we should travel outside of it. Now, Jesus traveling outside of Israel and having a mission to the world, maybe that's some foreshadowing. Because we know after, in the Bible, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, he, after he does all the work and all the letters, he says, go out into the world. And Jesus, the Great Commission, go out into the world. And maybe this is foreshadowing for that. So maybe for us, we should be thinking about, how am I moving outside of my comfort zone? I had a friend. Um, I don't see him much anymore. A different job, different spaces. But we just hung out together in a time when it was difficult for me. Um, I was separated. And we just met and watched football and we had beers, 
beer, sorry, I had beer, he had beers, and we would, we would just talk, and he was a good friend, and he was kind. We never talked about God. We never talked about Jesus. Now, I remember when I had to move away for a time in my life, I moved somewhere else, and he, <laughs> he, was, a, he was a bigger man than me, much bigger, and he just wept that I was leaving, and he said, Eric, you, you've been more Jesus to me than anybody. And it's not to say a spotlight on myself. It's a spotlight on to say, if, I, if you, if I, if the church takes the opportunity to step outside of what we're comfortable with, we're going to find something that has more meaning and more power than we could ever imagine. Point two. So Jesus is putting his fingers into his ears, spitting on his tongue, spitting on his fingers, touching his tongue, Reaching up toward heaven, looking up and groaning. Hmm. That healing. And then he says the word, ephata, which is his Aramaic. What I think is beautiful. He used something common to himself to talk to that man. The man was a stranger. He didn't know him until then. But his Aramaic, that's the language he would use to talk to his friends, to talk behind closed doors, to talk to his dad, to talk to his mom, to talk to his, I said mom, you know why? Because I work with Dave. <laughs> yes, I now say mom. Ask my family. They're like, who? I'm sorry. But, so he is, it's a common vernacular, his, his close language. And he used that with this man. I think there's some value to that. There's something interesting to consider with that. And I think about the way it processes in my mind is that Jesus is so physically and emotionally and spiritually connected to the fact that he's healing this man, as I imagine he was with every circumstance of healing. It echoes for me the concept that God has always been in the business of healing from beginning in the middle and the end into all eternity. He wants to heal us. He wants to heal the world. At the end, this world isn't going to burn up and be gone. It's a new heaven, a new earth. It's a healing. That's what we're supposed to be looking for. And when I think about that, I think about in the Old Testament, um, sometimes I remember reading as a kid and being scared out of my skivvies that God was going to do to me what he did to some of the people in the Old Testament. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen to me. So I better, you know, be careful little eyes what you see. Like, I was really worried. Um, now as an adult, I think of it more as his connection with the people in the Old Testament. And then he came to us. And then he upped it by having the Holy Spirit with us who lives in us. It's a good example of how his healing and love for us was set in place even far back as the Old Testament. So I think of this example of where Jesus, I'm sorry, where God makes this covenant with Abraham. So Abraham, um, someone God chose to be one of his descendants and descendants be plenty on the earth, he made a covenant. He said, I want a contract with you Abraham. Now, in that time, they made contracts or covenants in a peculiar way, much like the example of Jesus putting his fingers in the ears, spitting on his fingers, touching his tongue, and groaning. They would take animals, 
in their covenant. Instead of writing a contract, didn't have lawyers, didn't have a notary, didn't have, I don't know what else do we use today to make sure it's a contract, didn't have that, whatever that is. And they would cut animals in half and place them on opposite sides and make like a path. So they cut the sheep in half, half over here, half over here, the ox, whatever it is. And then the person making the covenant or the contract with the other person would walk that path to the other person, saying, if I break my promise to you, if I break that covenant, may I be like these animals. May I be cut in two. And how I think about that is maybe it's a further metaphor. God walked to Abraham. He didn't say, Abraham, you walk to me. He said, I'm coveting, I'm coveting? Nope, I'm covenanting with you. I am promising you that you are mine, that I will always be with you and for you. And he says, if not, which is not in his nature, to have his head and his heart separate, like the animal split in two, how often do we find ourselves with our head in one space and our hearts in another and they don't meet and we're in conflict and we're full of fear and anger and frustration and we're bitter and we can't hear or see God working in our lives or talking to us? And he promises, I will. I do. So that example of the covenant echoes the concept of Jesus healing. Because God, his purpose was to, to pursue us, to love us. Jesus did the same thing in the Gospels. To heal us, to love us, to be with us. The Holy Spirit does the same thing in us, to heal us, to love us. That was point two about healing. Point three. What did Jesus do before he healed him? He took him away from the crowd, pulled him to a new space. We can carefully read that as saying he didn't want him to be distracted. He didn't want him to hear the voices of the crowd or other people. He also wanted it to be an intimate experience between him and the other person. He wanted him not to be distracted by all the things that were happening in the world, all the things that were happening outside of himself. So he looked to him to take him and to calm him down in my reading of it and to look him in the eyes and to be physically connected with him so that the external factors and of course the internal factors were pushed away so that he could do something. He could accept the healing. You can offer healing to people Go to the doctor, hey, take an antibiotic? Nope, not gonna take it. Just give me some water. Okay, well that's not gonna heal you. For example, if I gave Dave a present for Christmas, which I probably will, and it probably won't be this present, but for the example, here's the present. He unwraps it, and it's in a bag, it looks like wine, but it's not wine. You know what it is? Mouthwash. Not that Dave needs mouthwash, because he smells like pine and sawdust and tobacco smoke, right? He's a lovely man. But if I gave him mouthwash, he would go, huh, okay, well, thanks. 
for the gift to do the thing it's designed to do, he would need to do what? To accept something. To accept the fact, I might have bad breath. I might need to use the mouthwash. Oh, wow, this is going to help my life be so much better. Thank you for the gift of mouthwash. In the same way, that man who was healed, and the way we can be healed from our deafness and our inability to speak, is we need to accept that. We need that. That the offering of his healing for us is necessary for us. Not out of control, but out of love. How many times have you had to talk with someone or speak with someone and tell them something out of love that was really difficult? Your pits are sweaty, your hands are all moist, you, your mouth is dry, and you're like, I gotta tell them something they do not wanna hear. They're gonna be upset, they're gonna be angry, gonna, they may not wanna ever talk to me again. And you sit down with them, probably over coffee, or more appropriately, probably wine, so everyone's calm. And you say, hey, I love you, and I love you, and I see you doing this. And I'm not your judge, but I'm worried about you. I want to offer you healing. That's a difficult space to be. And your ability to do that is directly related to how you can hear God speak to you. Because if you can hear his voice, once your deafness is healed, your speech will be more intelligible. I'm easily distracted. I don't know if you know that about me. I don't know if I'm, it's that obvious from the stage, but I am. I'm surprised I'm still talking. But if you know me at all, I can be easily distracted. Uh, my family and I went on a trip, and we went on a trip to Florida, and I uh, had the tickets, and we had the bags, and we had the seats, and it's the first time for um, one of us flying in a long time, so we're kind of anxious about that, but everyone's fine. You know, he's, he's a big boy. He could fly. And then so we get to where we're going. We have all the bags. We go down to where the uh, rental car is. We rented a white SUV, and they told us the number and told us the, the car. I'm like, great. And I'm, hey, I'm in charge, follow me, like I know what I'm doing. But sometimes I can be distracted, not just by external factors, because no one, it wasn't like a circus was going on. It was my internal thoughts. Okay, I can't mess this up, I don't wanna do it wrong, I wanna be proud of me, I wanna be happy with me, here we go. I walk up to the SUV, pop open the back of that trunk, look inside, and there are people in there. There's a mom and a dad and two kids, and they turn around and look at me. And I'm like, uh, hi. You're not my people. Shut the lid. They're standing right next to it in another white SUV going, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just trying to make our trip fun. This is just entertaining. No, I was easily distracted, can be easily distracted. And I believe that sometimes our distractibility comes from our pride or fear. I think those two things can be closely related. I think the ego has a lot to do with some of the things I choose not to do. And as a church, maybe it, your ego causes you not to do some of the things that you should be doing. Again, God's not seeking to control you. He's not seeking to make you do something for his sake. He doesn't get into an emotional snit. I'm so mad at you right now. 
I'm not going to talk to you. He doesn't do that. I don't know anybody who does that, by the way. He doesn't do that. Doesn't. He wants good things for you, for your sake. He loves you. And when he loves us, the Lord, the king of the universe, he goes all the way up into the line of us choosing. If we choose, nope. He stands and waits and waits and waits. He's never, ever going to stop pursuing us and loving us. Never. It never stops. External factors, internal factors, doesn't matter what we've done, what we're going to do. He wants to heal us. That is his only design. He loves us. And he wants to speak to us so that we can speak intelligibly and we can share. Point number four, speaking clearly. I hope that we understand that speaking clearly is demonstrating the good graces of God to us. That's what changes people's lives. That's what gives people hope. If we are just comfortable not speaking out to people, not speaking out, not, not anger. Sometimes a church can be known for what? Not being loving, being angry, being hurtful, being judgmental. And that's a mistake. Because we have more to do. We have more to do in this life and in the next than be angry at each other. We should be looking at each other and judging each other on the very best that we have. Looking at people and going, oh, you know what? One time they did this. Hmm, that was great. I love them for that. I like them for that. I am going to think of them in that space. What do we lose by doing that? More importantly, what do we gain by doing that? To hold people out at arm's length for the sake of our own pride, our own fear. I didn't see Jesus doing that. And the Holy Spirit's not prompting me to do that. Anytime I feel like a, a choice I need to make, that's going to be good or bad, or maybe listening to the voice of Jesus, it's simple. In my mind, I'm like, hmm. um, is this loving? Is this kind? Am I being gracious? Is the outcome going to be something that's helpful? Because I tell you what, I can be sharp. I can use my wit to hurt people, and I have. And I can use my mind to control people, and I have. And I can use my heart to hate people, to hold on to bitterness, and I have. But when I listen, my speech and my actions are different. The last point I want to point on, touch on, ironically, is that when Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears and he spits on his fingers or his tongue and touches his tongue and then he looks up at heaven and then groans. It's a beautiful thing to think about the God of the universe being that close to another person. That physically, viscerally entwined with another. And what he did for him 
is what he has always done and will do for us and will do for all eternity. It's also another picture of Jesus looking up to heaven. Anytime Jesus looked up to heaven in the Bible, it's a good signal that he's looking to his Father. He's looking to God. And then he uses the breath, breathes out, groans, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the conversation between Jesus and the Father. That's a great picture of the Trinity. And when I think about the Trinity in its entirety, it's moving to me to think about that entity that is not the greatest version of a human being. It's not the highest version. Jesus is other. God is other. He's not the same genus as we are. He is other. And he chooses us still, always, forever, by design. That fills my heart with gratitude, and it opens my ears and loosens my tongue to do the work of God, of Jesus. Not perfectly, not all the time. And church, you can't do it all the time. Do something with me. Open up your phones. Open your phones like it's a book. Open your flip phones. Take a look at your phone. Look at the last picture you have, you took with your phone. Look at the last picture. And think about that picture. Maybe look at the last three pictures. The last three pictures on your phone. Now this isn't judgment, like whatever you take a picture of determines your place in heaven, right? You got a picture of the wrong thing, you're gonna be scrubbing toilets, that's not what I mean. But if you look at that, probably a good indicator about what's on your mind, what you're focused on. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's a picture of uh, Thanksgiving, maybe it's a picture of a part in your car you're trying to fix and you can't see because you need glasses. Don't know where that example came from. I love the idea that Jesus is rubbing his life into us. Him plugging himself into the man is a great indication of what we can expect when we allow Jesus to plug himself into us. There's healing when we allow that. There's opening of our ears, and there's loosening of our tongues. Paul Tillich, a Protestant theologian, used this phrase. He said, self-complacent finitude is the problem with the church today. Self-complacent finitude. Finitude meaning our finite beings, that we are comfortable just being, eh, I'm okay. I'm comfortable just being whatever I'm being right now. I'm not going to take a risk. I'm not going to push past what I know or don't know. I'm not going to love outside of the comfort zones that I have. I'm just going to be complacent in my finite ability. C.S. Lewis said something. He said, you can guarantee your heart's not going to hurt. You can. You can protect it. You can put it in a box. You can make sure it stays exactly the same, pristine, no scars, no bruises, nothing. And there it will stay. 
No one can touch it. No one can see it. But instead of safety, it's death. We know we're alive because of the pain we suffer and the fear we have and the anxieties we have and we give it over to God and he fills us up as we pour ourselves out. That's the superpower we have. And the superpower is the strength and beauty that comes from allowing ourselves to be healed. Because that superpower will allow you, allow me, to see victory where others would see defeat. To see hope where it feels like it's hopeless. To see love where it feels like there's hate. A perfect example of that would be our church staff. You know that the past two years have been very difficult. Lots of changes, lots of things have happened. My hair and my beard just got stuck in the microphone and I pulled it away and that hurts. Hold on just a second. Wow. Huh. Our church has gone through a lot of changes, and it has been a wonderful thing to watch and see the staff of this church do more for our church, not out of pride, not out of wanting more things like recognition or power or money. They just do it because they're open. And they want to bless you. And in blessing you, they're blessed by God. Amy Kulba has been volunteering in the kids' ministry, and she has a small position as a ministering to the kids. What a perfect example of someone who has gone over and over and beyond what we'd anticipate for the sake of love, for the sake of healing our children. Our children, what greater cause is there? And she's open. If she wasn't open, she would have ran the other way. I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I don't know what I'm doing. But she didn't. And we're benefiting from that. Listening to the voice of God takes practice it's a process, and it takes humility. Practice by listening to the voice of God so you can hear him, be open to it, open, and then be able to speak. The process of healing, allow yourself to be healed, invite the healing, accept the gift, even though, even though you may have to change some things about yourself. Always accept that instruction from God. Always accept that loving instruction and you'll be plugged in. Jesus will plug himself into you. Humility is you receive it, and in the end, you receive a power that you had no idea was possible. All the best moments in my life, all those tingly moments, like Spider-Man, it changes you forever. It changed me forever not by things that I did by my own hand or my own power. It's all been from God to me and me giving to other people. Listen, move, heal, rely on his voice, speak, be plugged in, 
and heal the world. Heal the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to stand with these people, to speak with these people, to pray with them, to love them, to do life alongside them for the sake of not power or influence or money, but for something greater than that, which is love. And love has that criteria to want good things for the other, for their sake. And Lord, bless us as we go out this week and return that we think of how we can hear your voice, speak, and be healed. And in Jesus' name, amen.